Good morning. It is April 5th. It is a gray morning in New York. And this is your Indignity Morning Podcast, taking a look at the day and the news. I'm your host, Tom Skoka. Big political news yesterday as Janet Protasiewicz won a seat on the Wisconsin Supreme Court, giving liberals a four to three advantage on the court in a state where the judiciary and the legislature have conspired to gerrymander election maps and otherwise bend the system to ensure Republican control against a majority of Democratic voters. This time in a state that's usually closely split between Democrats and Republicans, but in which Republicans have engineered themselves huge legislative majorities, the liberal candidate won a blowout victory with a margin of about 10 points. Meanwhile, in Chicago, teacher-friendly Brandon Johnson defeated cop-friendly Paul Vallis in the race for mayor. The New York Times, which had hyped the defeat of Lori Lightfoot as mayor in the first round of voting as a sign that voters were sick of crime, reports today that Mr. Johnson's victory revealed voters rejecting the tough-on-crime politics that have become a staple of municipal elections in recent years, and instead embracing a decidedly progressive vision for a city still working to emerge from a pandemic malaise. No mention that this is the Times' own frame for describing the election collapsing around them, but it's Chicago. It's basically foreign correspondence. You can assume nobody's going to hold you to what you wrote a month ago. The Times website claims that both of these stories, Chicago and Wisconsin, are on page A20 of the New York edition of the paper. Are they? The late edition of the paper that landed on our doorstep in New York devotes page A20 to a full-page house ad for the New York Times cooking section's cookbook. Chalk it up to the mysteries of print deadlines and edition definitions. This edition from the doorstep is cheerfully provincial, as the paper goes all out on a very special New York event starring a national politician who the paper loves to cover, as, of course, Donald Trump has been charged with 34 felony counts of falsifying business records. After yesterday's show of anticipatory restraint, the Times bounces back with 13 or 14 stories, depending on how you count the little sub-items on the two-page spread detailing the contents of the indictment. There are three different pieces using the news analysis rubric, one political memo, and one Washington memo. The Political memo piece, citing interviews with a half dozen people close to Donald Trump, gives us the headline, seemingly defiant, but probably anxious, to describe the former president. But that depth and cleverness of analysis is beggared by the Washington memo, which wins a spot on page one from Peter Baker and Michael D. Scheer, who are there to tell you, even as Biden has Oval Office, predecessor has the spotlight. As helicopters and cameras followed every step of Donald J. Trump's legal drama in New York, more than 200 miles to the north, with white Ford Bronco-level intensity, they write, on page one of the newspaper, President Biden faded into the background, ceding the stage to his defendant predecessor. They go on to say, No commander-in-chief in more than a century has been eclipsed in the public eye by the leader he succeeded the way Mr. Biden has at times. Again, this observation is being made in an optional commentary piece, published in the news section of the paper as part of the blowout package of the paper's coverage of Donald Trump. The question that the piece is absolutely incapable of holding down a steady position on is whether attention is good if the attention is about how you're a giant criminal. And if it's not good, what's the point of writing a piece about how Joe Biden is being eclipsed? And yet it just wobbles back and forth around that point. Is it good for the president to not be in a constant state of chaos? 
The wild gyrations of the Trump show, in this view, only reinforce the reasons voters turned to Mr. Biden in the first place. The appeal of a steady hand against the storm, they write. Then they turn around and say, still, anti-chaos may be appealing to voters exhausted by Trumpian turmoil, but it has not historically been a big ratings draw. Still and but, in the same sentence, qualifying something, but they're not sure what they're qualifying. No other president would want the kind of publicity that Mr. Trump is getting now, of course, but the fixation on the former president will extend beyond even this historic prosecution. What is the of course doing there? Why wasn't the of course scrawled in red pen by an editor, rejecting the piece? And again, what's the but in the sentence qualifying? But the fixation on the former president will extend beyond even this historic prosecution. The piece then goes on to list all the other prosecutions that Trump is potentially facing, plus the civil trial revolving around the rape accusation that is scheduled for later this month. All of this is, from the lobotomized perspective of a New York Times-Washington memo, an example of the ex-president's ability to dominate the news. The only imaginable positive benefit to Trump from this cascade of negative attention is the invidious comparison to Joe Biden, which exists only in the minds of the New York Times-Washington memo writers and whatever people they consider themselves to be expressing the thoughts and values of. That is the news. Please subscribe to Indignity to keep us going, and have yourselves a peaceful, uneventful day. I'll talk again tomorrow.